Hi, hello. Uh, welcome back to the Cast. This is Ike, and with me is my co-host, Chris. And today we're going to be talking about, um, well, this is maybe part two of the economics of things. And our focus today in, in terms of our discussion is going to be immigration and the impact it has on economies. Hey, Chris. Hey, uh, I mean, in terms of a really hot loaded topic that everyone will have a reasonable opinion on, let's let's go on immigration and the economy. Uh, <laughs> right. Because that's such a safe topic, isn't it? Yeah, it's safe. <laughs> there's, there's tons of consensus, right? <laughs> right. At all. All right, let's yeah. let's delve into this because this is as complicated as it gets, and as rife with very, very, you know, very strong and heated opinions, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, like I don't think anyone is 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 looking for like complete like super open porous borders. Right. I don't think anyone is looking for that. Right. But yeah, I know. I agree with you. They're not looking for super porous borders, but I think there has to be a recognition in terms of the impact immigration, um, the different forms of immigration that that has on the economies. Right. And there's so many aspects of it. Right, Chris. I mean, there's come in based on family petitions, family sponsorship, and then there's um, natural born. Um, they're not considered immigrate, immigrate, immigrants. Excuse me, I had like a, a <laughs> like a stutter or something happening there. Yeah. Um, my my engine was revving up, um, and you know, and um, and then there's you've got those individuals who uh, come in for work um, as temporary workers, possibly get you know, work authorization um, that leads to some form of permanent residency or citizenship. And then you have, you know, the very beginning of that, which is students, right, who come in to the, into the country to study. And then, of course, they're looking at a path for a long-term commitment um, with, the, with the host country. And um, I don't know about you. I, I mean, I think, you know, we can talk ab- about a number of things, but um, I'd like to try, if we can, to focus on students, international students, because I think that in and of itself is a loaded topic, right? I think uh, it's loaded, but I also think now more than ever, it's actually very pertinent considering the more recent news. Right. So let's let's talk about what's what's happened. Okay, so we're all living in the COVID-19 pandemic and then um, uh, uh, guys were sort of focusing on the U.S. Um, but I think there's elements that we can look at in terms of how Canada has done it. We do not have um, anybody right now with us who can provide us with the analysis on either uh, the U.K. or Europe, but we are looking I into think it. I, I, so... I could provide analysis on the U.K. Oh, could you? Okay, good. Okay, good. Um, all right. Yeah. Right, because part of the U.K. immigration stuff is the Brexit issues, right? It's A lot of it is Brexit, but uh, when I was there uh, at law school, right, um, I did the immigration law course just to, to see what it was like. And the U.K. thing really comes down to a whole bunch of ministerial power that no one has any real you know like way to stop it like right okay you know like right. there's, no, there's no constitutional challenge to what would be ostensibly racist policies in the in the uk okay. um we'll okay. Get on that further. yeah okay so let's 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 um go back to circle back to the u.s so here in the u.s uh what typically happens is, and I, I don't think it's different from other countries as well, is foreign students, they send their transcripts into, they apply for certain programs. Uh, the, they're based on the, their educational, their academics. They're approved for a, a program. They come in, they attend school. Uh, and part of the, the requirement is you have to have fiscal cast classes this is a really important element and we'll explain why afterwards but have to you have to have um in class it's in class um attendance 
Uh, there's absolute zero tolerance for missing classes when you're a foreign student. And, you know, it's um, either you come for a two, four, six uh, year programs, HDs, uh, PhD. So what I'm talking about is associate degrees, bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, PhDs. Um, that encompasses everything uh, in terms of uh, student visas. And here in the U.S., they're called F1 visas. Um, F1 student visas and so think about um, there there's we actually have some stats uh, here so the international students comprise with within the U.S. it's it's fifth highest sector of um, industry so think about that it means that this is a money-making business for one, you know, um, one-fifth of um, the economy. And the foreign students bring in to the U.S. approximately $45 billion of revenue, okay? So that $45 million includes tuition, includes residency, spending money um, in terms of local economies. They're going to be buying cars. They're going to be renting. They're going to be going to restaurants. They're going to be grocery shopping, retail shopping, you name it. So it's an all-encompassing um, thing. And you have to look at the multipliers of, in the economy. So one student may be impacting... 10 other industries, right? Yeah. What do it, I mean? It's, by, it's, yeah. it's, it's like you're taking a, a, another person, generating them out of nowhere, and like, all right, well, what do you normally have to do for your normal interactions? All right, they're doing the exact right. same thing. It's another person in the economy, right? Right. Right. And then, uh, right, and these individuals, they're creating jobs. It's because, you know, in the in that they're spending money, they're spending money in the different industries, and that that job creation is happening. So uh, these are some numbers that uh, we did some research in terms of numbers. Uh, so what we were seeing is with the current administration, there has been a impact on um, just the number of students that are coming in. And a result of that, what's happening is the um, the U.S. is losing its market share, okay? Um, students are, you know, looking at U.S. Yeah, U.S. still is top, but they're starting to look at, okay, well, the since 2017, when this administration was sworn in, there's been a lot of anti-immigration sentiment. So, they're like, look, I, I don't know. It's so unclear. There's such a, a there's such like um, uncertainty here that uh, we're going to, to, you know, what we're not going to look at U.S. as an option. So they're looking at countries like Canada, Australia, even China, <laughs> you know, as um, as other countries where they can where students can go and learn and the students are contributing to those economies and um, the U.S. is what's result what is resulting is um, in the U.S. we're losing the market share right so you go from 45 billion just um, in uh, 45 billion I think was what the numbers were approximately in 2017 and I think that there's been there's definitely been a steady decline and most recent numbers for 2019 were released and they were released uh, that uh, the US uh, or international students contributed about 41 billion now Chris 4 billion doesn't seem to be a lot right in terms of a loss in market share but 41 right right well no so you went from 45 to 41 yeah. Right. So you lost four billion in a market share. That doesn't seem to be high, but it is if this continues to be the trend. Mm, yeah. And we're seeing, um, right? We're seeing that 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 is happening. There is a um, 
there is a significant loss that's happening in the fifth largest services export that the U.S. has. Okay. Since 2016, international student enrollment has been down 10%, over 10%. And that is big because um, not only are they immediately impacting the economy, but if you look at um, a lot of the innovation that's happened um, in most recent years, it has been through... um, through the immigrant communities, right? It's international students who came to the U.S., followed the path that's there, and um, created, um, you know, were innovative in terms of their their solutions that's, that continues to impact the U.S. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that, you know, it's, it's not even... Um... It's not even a debate on the value that immigrant communities can provide, right? Yeah. I don't think that I don't think that's part of the debate. Right now, people have you know sort of posted their horses to uh, doing it legally, or just we need to reduce it for a bit, right? Right. Um, or 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 stop it for for a segment while we figure out our own thing, right? Right. Like that's the sort of like arguments you hear for for reduction, but I don't think we're in this position where, like, go go continue with the students because we need to talk about the changes that have been made. Right. Okay. So um, the changes that are made. Why are we having this discussion? So when COVID nineteen hit in March, the the USCIS that's the acronym for the United States Citizenship and Immigration Service that. Uh, processes these type of petitions here or here in the U.S. and Department of Homeland Security, which is the department that oversees it, they had um, they had put out a, a policy that okay, you know what, COVID nineteen hit, so we're not going to a, international students are not going to be negatively impacted if their courses go online. At the beginning of this, I remember Chris. I said that you uh, that international students have to have in class um, courses. Yeah. So, yeah, U.S. You know, USCIS said, DHS said, yeah. You know what? We're going to. We're not going. If your school says no, we're not going to do online class. We're only going to do online classes. Don't worry. It's not going to impact you. This past week it was just this past week, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, just this past week, it's amazing how how much things happen. Um, Just this past week, um, DHS and USEIS, they've changed their position. They've said for the upcoming fall semester, if your university is only offering online classes, i.e. Harvard is only, is said that that's what they're going to do. There's a lot of top tier um, universities that have said that's what they're going to do just online because COVID-19 is still happening. We don't have a vaccine. Um, that USCIS has said, well, if you're in a university or program is completely online, you have two options. You have one or two things. Either you leave the country, okay, because you can study abroad um, because it's all online. So that you can't meet that requirement or two, you change to a program that allows for some component of in-class teaching or lectures. And the problem is that USCIS hasn't identified the number of classes that have to be in person. Um, The other problem is a, that, yeah, you can say online classes, but where the students live, there might be restrictions there that would not allow them to do classes, right? Like we know China has restrictions in terms of the internet, right? Um, we There's developing countries that do not have the robust um, fire- internet systems that we have yeah the infrastructure isn't there for it so 
you know, I think it's very short-sighted for them to say that, uh, no, I'm, you know, if it's completely online, then you're not going to, uh, you're, if you don't leave the country or you don't transfer classes or schools, then you're going to be um, out of status. That means that you're going to get deported if you don't leave yourself. Um, it will impact a person's ability to get any type of work visa once they complete their program. Um, it'll impact um, even their path to getting permanent residency and for that matter, citizenship. So it's a huge hit um, if, if this happens. And um, this week, Harvard and MIT have sued the government um, to put this policy on hold. Yeah. I so, mean, so that's, that's let, the landscape the, we're talking from. Let's look at this policy in general, though. All yeah. right. Like, on the face of it, it's based on, you know, the, the current policy. The current policy is, is that if your course is online, theoretically, you could do it anywhere. You don't necessarily have to be in the United States for it. All right. That's yeah. that sound in a normal situation and scenario where someone chooses an online, you know, course, class, or, or degree, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that that would you know when someone makes that choice, I get that you know it's like hey, well you know you could do this from anywhere. All your stuff you've chosen to do all this stuff online, you really don't need to come to the United States for this. All right, it's like okay, I get that, but there's a lack of choice in this situation due to the, you know, global pandemic. Right. Yeah. We have, you know, people who, you know, through no fault of their own, the only classes available online institutions themselves are making the changes and not themselves. They're being unfairly or yeah, it's, it's really just unfairly, you know, picked on by the rules in, in extraordinary circumstances. Right. Yeah. And, I, what can I say? I, I think it's asinine. I think that, you know, you could start off by saying, hey, listen, anyone who, at the, you know, during this current semester is, is you know, their, their school has gone to online courses, you know, uh, in response to COVID, don't worry, you're fine. But, you know, anyone who starts the new year, uh, sorry, you know, in September, the new, new semester, you guys are out of luck. Um, it, well, and can I interject just one minute? And everybody has to keep in mind right now, Embassies and consulates are not open. So those students that were coming in, Chris, for the first time, yeah. they're, it's not even applicable because, let's face it, they don't have visas. Yeah. You're not going to get visas in time for the, for the fall semester. It's yeah. just not happening. And then on top of this, like, all right, so you have the USCIS doing this. Um, and on top of it, you have, you know, what is it, massive amount of furlough and, and – and budget shortfall with the USCIS? How much is it? Right. And yeah, and and a large part of that is because of the policies, right? So uh, you, you know, when you, when a organization continues to hammer and hammer and hammer, um, you know, applications where before 2017, yeah, you probably, you know, you had a small percentage. That, that percentage of denial of petitions has, um, I think the last I saw was like almost like 67%. So more than 50% of applications that are getting filed are getting denied or are becoming more burdensome. So a lot of companies are like, screw it, I, I don't want to deal with it, right? And so they they put their own growth plans on on hold, which impacts who impacts us, right? Because if you're not, if you're not growing and you can't find the individuals qualified to do the jobs that you're the work that you have, you're going to, you possibly might put it on hold or heaven forbid, outsource it, outsource it, meaning sending it overseas. And that's happened a lot. And there's, I think it would, impact uh chris the economy more if the um if policies were put in place that penalize companies for outsourcing out of the country yeah I, right? I, I, but that's not happening i mean think of it like this right like you know 
even here in Canada, you know, even, you know, in all sort of first world nations, right? Um, the old school jobs, the manufacturing jobs, right? Things that didn't require, you know, things that were complex and specialty enough, right? They're, they're moving somewhere else, right? Um, but here's the thing. We have a ton of new fields and, and, and new, you know, economic paths that are also being just pushed out to outsourcing, right? I don't think it's, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that if you want access to our market, right, you need to employ people within the market, Right. It's like you want access here. You want to sell. You need to be able to say that you employ people here. Right. That you, you know, that, that, you know, there's a million things. I'm not necessarily saying that, hey, you got to manufacture everything in the United States and U.S. steel only and U.S. lumber. No, but I think there has to be a percentage. Like, okay. Yeah. So let me give you an example. Right. I've got a, I, and all of my examples are based on, experience what friends colleagues have said to me right so i've got really good friend um works for a um huge um financial institution right it's like one of the top five here in the one of the top five in the u.s and what he's what he's what he said is like you know and he's in a very high position right and what he said is like we are told you know they've got a budget right so they've got a budget of a hundred dollars right their their budget is broken down into you can only have um 15 percent or 20 percent i'm making these numbers up okay but uh, this is for example purposes 20 percent has to be in the U.S. where you are or, you know, in the U.S., right? The other um, 80% gets broken up with near shore and offshore. What does that mean? Offshore is, you know, um, country like um, India, China, Philippines, whatever. Okay. Near shore is countries that uh, near to you, borders you, contiguous states right so that would be like mexico barbados bahamas um even canada for that matter but not canada because um canada's labor cost is higher so you're going to the near shore is for those states where they have a lower labor labor cost so mexico really right so the, and then they have their near shore um is um you know their near shore is uh, another 25 percent Right. So we're at 45 onshore, nearshore. Right. And then the remaining percentage is for offshore. That's U.S. dollars going offshore. And the frustration um, is for those those managers here. They have to manage the offshore, nearshore and on site teams. And they're dealing with, you know, language barriers because, you know, and they're also dealing with um, time zone issues. Nearshore, not so much. Offshore, absolutely, because they're at least a 10-hour difference, right? So they're managing, you know, at extremely odd hours. Well, here's my proposal, Chris, is those offshore, why can't the offshore be only 20% of the budget, right? And why can't we bring them on onshore that's in the u.s and take them into like the midwest or something like that right where the the infrastructure is there you can build the infrastructure there relatively fast right but we're keeping more of those dollars here and that also encourages the companies that are here on shore to um, and I'm tying this back. To, I'm going to tie this back to the international students. So they're coming here studying. If you're not going to give them a path to work and a path for permanent residence, right, and possibly citizenship down the road, they're going to go back. And what we're doing is we're teaching them everything and then saying, yeah, you know, now that you've taken all of this knowledge, go back. Right. We're not retaining that knowledge that's going to help lift everybody else up 
do you see where the where I'm going with this? Yeah, you, your your point is is that the 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 current balance of of expenditure and budget is is on essentially outside the United States. You want it flipped. Yeah. You want the current balance to be majority United States and then minority outside. All right. Right. And I think that's fair because it goes like, hey, listen, you know, like these are the things that 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 we can do outside, man. You know, certain manufacturing, certain things that where it's not nowhere near cost effective, but there's the other side where it goes like, well, you're gonna have to absorb some of that cost, right, to right. employ Americans. Right, and this is where you have the incentives, right? So right now, it's these companies that are sending majority of their stuff offshore um, to third third countries, and uh, this is not just a issue with the U.S. It's an issue in Canada. It's also an issue in Europe and the U.K. Okay, there there isn't enough some incentives. For them to stay, uh, they're not getting penalized. These companies aren't getting penalized for sending majority of their dollars overseas. They're not. Yeah, well, and I think well, they need to be penalized in order to bring them back in onshore, right, into their countries. And this is why countries have, you know, international and bilateral treaties, right? Is is to allow for that flow to happen. We're going to create X widget. You have Y widget. We're going, you know what? We're going to make it more feasible, easier for us to exchange those widgets. But that's not what's happening. No, not at all. Uh, what's happening is very much that there is no penalization for, you know, for, for just behavior that is, you know, just very anti-consumer, right? Yeah. It's 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 anti, you know, the economy. It, it's pro, it's just corporatist, right? It's this large corporatist policy that allows, you know, people to get crazy amounts of rich without, you know, there's that old Roman, you know, uh, term called noblest obliges, the nobles must oblige, right? Right, right. You know, it's everyone has to, to, to put work into it to, in order for the state to work. Right. Yeah. Everyone's got everyone's got to pay their share. Everyone's got it. You know, that's just how it is. In order for things just to work, um, providing jobs in exchange for tax benefits and penalties for, you know, taking those jobs away and putting them in, uh, you know, uh, putting them offshore. I think that's yeah. completely reasonable. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, but you know, th that's the intersection is that right now. And then on top of that, you know, in order to keep jobs here, right, we need to, I know it's kind of horrible to say, but you know, it, it's a brain drain of other nations with immigration because we want the best. Right. Right. And in order to have, the, well, right. In order but to what's happening, Chris, sorry, I, I'm interrupting. Go ahead. Finish your no, thought. No, no, you're no, because you're right. What you're about to say, what's happening is that we're not even allowing the brain drain. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes. And, um, and it's, um, you know, and this is, uh, this is going to have long-term impact and effect. Uh, I, and I don't think there's enough realization in terms of what that long-term uh, impact is going to be. Right. I mean, um, if you take a look at and this is a really interesting um, um, research a paper that I had come across. You know, a, one of the biggest reasons why there may be a decline, we're circling back to international students, a decline in international student enrollment is is a, you know, it's, it's all interconnected. It's, you know, the uh, application process delays, denials um, has increased. There's political un and social unrest. We clearly have seen it here, especially during COVID-19, um, right? Uh, and the cost continues to go up. And I, I wanna talk about that, you know, guys, um, international students don't get a break. They have to pay 
top dollar. Okay. So U.S. residents, U.S. citizens, they get what's called in-state tuition. International students don't. And there is at least a 10 to 15,000 per semester difference. Okay. That international students pay more. So international students actually subsidize universities and in-state student tuition. Yeah, it's, I don't it's, think anybody really wraps their mind around that. Oh yeah, no. The taking out international—it's it, international student fees, and because I was an international student, international student fees are—you know—they're exorbitant at times, right? But the advantage that you're getting is that you're able to get a, an education for most of these international students. You're able to get an education that is far superior, right? Yeah. Than anything you could get in your your home nation right or anything that's available in your home nation for me like you know when it comes to canadians and and uk law schools it's just that there's not enough space for you know we have 16 law schools in canada right they have 50 in london alone (laughs) really yeah there's 50 law schools in london alone there's 16 there's one six 16 in canada of which right. six in my home province, which has the majority. That's insane. Yeah. So access to education is another thing that, you know, that these people do. And with this. But Chris, you know what I was going to say was when I went to law school, yeah. there was only 13. in exactly. Canada. Okay. So, so okay. They, they got three more. Hey. Yeah, okay, but here's the thing. <laughs> they got three more in 20, what, 20 something years. Yeah. All right, that that's insane. Twenty something years, they got three more. <laughs> right? Yeah, from from right. your law school experience to mine. But yeah, no, um, yeah, just considering that in mind, mo- you know, movement of people, movement of capital in this case, and and here's the advantage: people educated in the U.S. go like, hey, I got a U.S. degree, right? I obviously can speak English. So I've I've obviously passed, you know, these very stringent requirements that majority of people in the u.s don't even beat right so yeah. like this i think like of people who have a bachelor's degree and above in the united states it is like 30 percent yeah i think so right. I, I don't have the demographics in front of me yeah i believe it was like 30 a little over 30 percent okay so that, that that's a chunk of people with masters and higher it's like 15 to 16 percent all right so you cut it in half International students who pass that are part of that demo, part of that block of, of individuals who have education, which is a minority, right? Yeah. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, with these educated individuals, you know, would, you know, stay in, you know, the United States, you know, add to the economy, add to, to, to all of it, because they're in that top tier of people, right? Right. Yeah. Just inherently. We need to be... Like, I understand first that, you know, education needs to start at home and we need to expand it in the United States. Uh, and to be very fair, the United States education has a lot to work on, <laughs> right? Despite being one of the best on the planet, its fee structure, its system, it's the way that, you know, people are accepted. It needs to work out a little bit more. The SAT system, that, that's a whole other question, issue on the U.S. educational system. Well, I, I, I think there um there's a lot more colleges and universities moving away from the SATs yeah um you know especially with with COVID-19 students weren't able to take their SATs and stuff like that that's going to impact um students incoming students in following years right so I think universities are looking at it and I, I you know what for me SAT SATs don't necessarily establish whether or not you're going to be a good student or not right um what how's canada canada is a bit different right canada doesn't use sats no uh, for um, admission no the the admission process is just based on your overall you know gpa uh in high school right you go through high school from 9 through 12 right yeah and 11 and 12 is where it really you know where they really focus they're looking on how well you're doing in your classwork and classwork is a mixture of exams and projects right, right. okay you know, just normal mm-hmm. what i would call normal you know systems 
right? Right. And, and the UK is slightly different than that too, right? The it's UK, they do what O's and A levels and yeah. that tells the path that you're going to take. Yeah. Essentially it's, it's, you know, they, it, there's a point in high school where they have to make a choice O or A level. Right. And it's, and it's just prep stuff for uh, university and, you know, the better you do. It's similar to kind of similar to Canada, but Canada is just very simple. Here's your high school. And if you did well in high school, you can probably, you know, get to university, right? Uh, <laughs> right. It, right. It, it's, it's, it's very simple. It's like, hey, here's your school. Do well in school. You can, you can get up. You didn't do too well in school. Wait a little bit. Go as an adult student. Pass the exams that way. Um, right. right. That, and it, I, I'm going to, I want to say that I think also um, the path to permanent residency is slightly different in all of these countries as well, right? Uh, I, I think the path to permanent residency here in the U.S. is a lot more challenging, takes a lot more time. I think Canada is very generous in terms of their path to permanent residency. Some which would I think, argue too generous. <laughs> yes, I, which I think, you know, probably does need to be uh, revisited. Yeah. Right? Um, I mean generally speaking you know i'm i'm like i'm like safe on immigration i'm like you know i i agree that you know we should have it but at the same time you know we need to be very very good about who we let in we want to of course everyone wants the best right right but we also need to follow our international obligations and uh and uh you know treaty requirements when it comes to everything else involving immigration so yeah. Yeah. what does that mean well, international obligations well like mo- pretty much almost every country on the planet has signed on to the un declaration uh for on refugees right okay uh refugees right. asylum and the rest and uh the protections and, and requirements on that uh and okay. in terms of immigration everyone signed on to that and we all have international responsibilities uh to it okay all right. I just wanted to, uh, us to be clear on that because I, I don't want anybody to think when we say international obligations, um, they think, oh, what? We said that we were going to hire X number of people in this type of field or that type of field. No, that's not what we're talking about. In terms of international, yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, the the other side of immigration, refugee to a something like that. Right. Yeah. Right. But, uh, all things considered, right, Um we're in this we're in this very interesting and precarious place because I feel like people are not really when it comes to focusing on substantive issues, we're in this emotional place right now. Right? And we're yeah. also in a very dangerous place. I mean, considering, you know, where we are in time, right? Um yeah. Yeah. you know, things aren't normal right now. No, they're not. Right, we're we're, and I think that the um the fact that we're not in normal, I think, is being taken advantage of um, by certain factions, oh, and um, interests, interest but, groups. Absolutely, but that's that's uh, I feel that's so apropos to any time. Whenever there's a problem, someone's going to take advantage. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, all things considered, immigration is a facet that we need to that is necessary to almost yeah. every aspect of, of, of modern life. We, we require people to bring in skills that we don't have or that, you know, local populaces aren't filling. Now, if that's a argument to making education cheaper, freer, more accessible to home populations, I think that's a good argument to have that if you really, absolutely. Want yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But Chris, um, in order to make it more cheaper, more accessible, you need the international students and the dollars that come with them in order to subsidize that movement. Yeah, you have to offset the cost somehow. Yes. And th- the only way to offset it is for international students. So, you know, I, I think, um, you know, I-, I think it's a short-sighted view that's being taken and the other part is you know uh, this administration i mean they don't think things out they just like put this is our new policy without looking at okay giving more clear guidance right like people Um, went to sleep but you know um 
and the, got up the next morning wondering, hang on, does this mean I have to leave or not? And, you know, and of course the schools are all scrambling, figuring out, okay, hang on, what do we do? Uh, I mean, there's no guidance and there's no thought process and there's no, um, I really feel like they don't really go out into the industries and talk to subject matter experts. They're like, yeah, you know what? We don't want any international students. Great. COVID-19 happened. We can tell them, stay out. That's really, I think, the way, you know, it happens there. Yeah, could, I don't see a rationality. No, I don't see the rationality in this, especially because the amount of money to be, the amount of money that's at stake, the amount of time, effort, and what can, I think it's short-sightedness. This is some sort of ideological policy idea that really doesn't take into account the advantages Right. Right. Um, yeah. What can I say? Like students, you know, if you come here and get like, here's the thing. Like, I don't think anyone's arguing that people with coming on community college, trying to get into community college are people who are, you know, trying to, you know, actively, I, I especially here in uh, Canada, no. you, you see that people I, yeah. community college route to essentially game the system when it comes to right. integration. And that's what has to close up. It's those individuals who are trying to game the system. Of course. Right? And, yeah, bad actors must be dealt with. Right? right. And, you know, people who people in good faith need to be treated properly. And just as a reference point, um, everybody, uh, I, I want to make it clear that the Canadian Community College is not the same as a U.S. Community College. Um, it's not. There might be a handful of um, colleges that might be to the same caliber as um, U.S. community colleges, but for the most part, um, I think the community colleges had been more trade schools than anything else. Yeah, essentially, yeah. Historically. Historically. Right? Community colleges here are very strange. They're, 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 lower, they're, they're associate degrees and diplomas. You know, they're on a variety of things from business. They're not really trade focused um, necessarily. Um, well, maybe not anymore, but they they were. So here in the U.S., Chris, we do have trade schools and then we have um, community colleges where you get an associate degree, not a diploma, an associate degree. And the two years at your community college, you can then use those years and have it counted towards your four year bachelor's degree and there's a lot of people who do that well they'll go into community college do the two years then transfer into a bachelor's degree and they don't have to do the full two years again they the credits that they received at the community college associate level get migrated to their bachelor's degree i don't think that necessarily happens with the canadian community colleges not really yeah. So see, so it's, it's completely different. I think it's a, it's a bullshit mechanism um, that, you know, what Canadian community colleges have realized they can use in order to get international dollars without actually going through and screening whether or not those individuals coming are going to be productive. Oh, absolutely. And well, every nation in the world has, uh, um, uh, you know, attendance requirements, right? I yeah. have seen more often than not those attendance requirements being very easily broken because, you know, there's no technology. There's no, like, tap into a class, right, that sort of right. thing. I mean, we started to see that slightly in the UK when it came to there. But the UK, like, their immigration is all kinds of, of mess. Okay. Well, I can say here in the US, um, not you can't necessarily do that. I think at universities, but I know at community colleges, international students, um, the professors or the teachers, the lecturers, they on a weekly basis did submit attendance records. Interesting. Yes. So, um, so there is mechanisms in place in terms of student attendance. Okay, I, I, I'm not familiar with university, but I do know at a community um, college level that that was happening. Yeah. Um, so that that's a slight difference. But uh, what do you mean um, in the UK, there's 
all kinds of crazy. Uh, that may not be the exact terminology you used. Right. So in the UK currently, what what's happening right now is, um, well, Brexit is occurring. As Brexit, right? Occurring, yep. Um, yeah, as Brexit is occurring, people are um, there's this there's a lot of very 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 anti-immigrant sentiment that's going that's going on due to Brexit. Right yeah. now, because of this, generally speaking, a lot of the international student community that comes to the UK comes via um, comes via uh, Europe. And due to the EU's rules and regulations, they were given domestic, you know, student uh, rates. Okay. Now, those rates have gone up significantly in time because conservative governments have been defunding uh, through austerity. They've been defunding uh, schools, right? Mm -hmm. But so people are, um, people are, are definitely trying to find the right, right word people are the, the the state of affairs in the uk is very very strange right it's it's where you have this very large anti-immigrant sentiment you have a large student population who are from europe that are you know the, their status has been all kinds of messed up due to this the nature of what's going on in brexit has left so much uncertainty and uncertainty is the killer of everything yeah right as soon as there's uncertainty people start yeah. acting you know People just, they don't want to take chances. And that similarly is, is occurring in the United States where people uh, don't want to take chances with a government because they're like, what do we do now, right? It's like like the schools that, that we went to are, are going to, they don't have the, the, the wherewithal to, to handle this pandemic. They're doing these sort of things. The UK it has pl a plethora of, of those issues, not to mention social issues like the United States, except... Now they're coming to a light in the UK as well. Um, yeah. What can I say? And uh, like every problem that the US has, I would argue the UK has in abundance, right? Um, it's just they, you know, they've been hiding it a lot better. Uh, same thing with places like Canada. We have the same. We have similar problems. We just, you know, uh, it, it affects different populations. Um, yeah. Yeah, but Brexit has thrown a wrench into a lot of things. Immigration was a key aspect of Brexit. And, and in the UK, immigration is entirely discretionary to the minister. Um, unlike the United States, Canada, and many other jurisdictions, the UK does not have, and I would argue, it does not have a constitution. Right? There is nothing in the yeah. UK. There's only one supreme idea in the UK, and that is whatever the parliament says goes. Whatever, like the parliament can take away your rights because that's that's their prerogative. It's you know kind of stupid because then they would be voted out. But then they could also you know there's a million things that they could legislate which are beyond reproach that all involve yeah. rights. You know I, I'd like to point out that the, the Human Rights Act in the UK came out in 1998. <laughs> okay. Right? So there before right. that guaranteed rights was not a thing, right? Um, uh, it, it, like it existed, but they could be taken away. I'd like to point out that for the longest time in the UK, people were subjects of the British crown all over the world, right? Yeah. Therefore eligible yeah. for citizenship in the UK. Um, and the issue was, is in the 1800s, travel was hard, but as travel became easier, right? You start yeah. seeing the laws change going, ah, subjects aren't allowed citizenship. We don't want those people here. And then it keeps on expanding. Well, well, these people actually aren't really subjects; they're citizens because, you know, we have a governor in the area. So, well, well, these people from this area. I I remember in the '60s, uh, people from Jamaica, Kenya, India, like all, all these places, were essentially they had legal citizenship, right, as citizens of 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 you know England, and then it was just yeah. legislated away, right? Um, right. So immigration in the UK has always been uh, a topic that is subject to so much discretion um, that now it's, it's a free-for-all. You know, whoever, whatever, it's going to be completely strange. The rules and requirements are going to shift rapidly and without notice, like, like in the US. And the UK yeah. is able to do it on a scale that even the US has a hard time. Despite, you know, the US requires, you know, a whole bunch of like things to occur. 
right? But imagine if the head of the USCIS could make these decisions, right? Not not the president, just like yeah. the, the person in charge. The, um, that's what's going yeah, on. Yeah, I, I mean, my head already pops as it is with <laughs> how things are playing out. So my head would probably pop even more uh, under your description. Yeah, especially because the UA relies so much on their EU immigration, right, to get a whole bunch of, you know, to, 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 to fill jobs. The EU immigration, right, is so important for many aspects of the, uh, of, of the, the British economy. And mm-hmm. the advantage was is that you didn't have to do any of that, you know, like there was a lot of cut the bureaucracy, bureaucracy solutions uh, because, you know, the, the, the free movement of people of the EU. All right. Yeah. Yeah. There's no indication of of people coming in and just, you know, uh, you know, using benefits and, and breaking the law. There's no indication of any of these things, uh, which would be negatives. But there is definitely a, a real social issue that arrived from this. And the social politics has has focused more. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's 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 problematic and uh, it, it sucks. But uh, that's the nature of the world we live in. It is the nature of the world we live in. I'm going to go slightly and say that, you know, if you do not like, I I don't think enough people do this, but if you do not like policies, one of your, you know, living in a democracy, the best thing you can do is to vote, which I don't think enough people do. But um, yeah, I mean, we could go, on and on and on and we've just touched the tip of the iceberg when it comes to uh immigration it's just we you know we wanted to try to touch base on this because uh there's that the dialogues are happening there there's the arguments for or against um immigration but what what very rarely gets spoken of or considered is the economics that flows from immigration yeah, I, the different types of immigration. I, because I think bad faith actors on immigration don't ever want to focus on positives. And economics, in terms of a positive, is something that people inherently gravitate to. to right? If they yeah. think the economics of it are good and beneficial, right? It's hard to convince them of the social issues, right? Yeah. And so you take the economics out of out of it and stick to the social. Right. You that's what happens. And to me, that's what, you know, the Brexit situation was, was it was social policy. Right. Issues with social, you know, issues with, you know, social problems in the UK with with Europe that they took a social issue and turned it into an economic one. Right. Yeah. 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 They have an issue with free movement of people, not the free movement of goods. Right. They want to be able to vacation anywhere in the UK, in, in, in the EU and, and Snowbird or, 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 or Summerbird the, their way through all of the Mediterranean, right? But they don't want that in, in reverse, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it, it's, it, it's a lot of confused rhetoric at the, at the time. And 2016 was a strange time. Um, and 2020 is even worse, right? But we see... You know, everywhere around the world, governments not taking a pandemic seriously, and they become you know things. I mean, right now, Brazil, their their leader has coronavirus. Right. So, like, what has happened? The, yeah, I, the thing is that, um, well, for that matter, the UK's leader had it too, right? Uh, but. I think Boris Johnson, having gone through it, understood the, you know, how complex this pandemic is. Whereas I don't think the Brazilian leader has really figured it out. Uh, the Brazilian leader, in my opinion, uh, Jair, uh, Jair Bolsonaro, has the same opi- has the same sort of opinion of the coronavirus as Donald Trump, and I'm surprised that Trump never got it. Um, at the the way that he well how do we know he hasn't gotten it and they just say that no he hasn't gotten it uh i mean he's 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 been pretty vigorous (laughs) i'm just saying yeah but i i'm sorry there's there's been too many lies that come out of out of the the podium there that i just have a really hard time believing yeah Uh, i'm just wondering now 
Yeah. But I, I think, you know what, whenever one see, hears an opinion, sees an opinion, or sees something, I, I think they should do their own research and determine, you know, what is factually accurate. Because you have to keep in mind that, you know what, who are you are hearing things from the lens of that person's opinions or experiences. Like we keep on saying, reiterate, this is an opinion-based podcast. And, um, uh, you know, we're interpreting the facts as we see them. Yeah. And, you know, feel free to disagree. Uh, my general, yep. uh, the general rule, as my brother says about Canadians, is I don't care. That's cool, bro. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, um, and same with me. You disagree with me. Let me know where we dis- disagree. Let's have a good discourse on it. Uh, not, you know, not, uh, not completely, um, you know, get the steams coming out of our ears because we're unwilling to listen. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is a, this is a huge topic, um, and um, yeah, it's I'm not a not. it's not a sexy topic. It's not a topic that everybody wants to hear. Um, we understand that, but I think it's a it's an important topic. There's real economics involved with immigration economics, which are beneficial, um, which one should be taking a look at. Absolutely, it's not a vacuum. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We don't live in we. The best thing to do is to continuously look forward right and yeah and hopefully that policy and and common sense wins out okay so chris let's um let's switch the topic to something a little bit more lighter entertainment um and let's uh sign off on a high note um so you know the other day you had asked me you know what do you you know what kind of movie or recommend something that would be immigration related so I want to put it out there before we talk about the one that you were recommending in some point is Knives Out. I really enjoyed that movie. It's got a great cast. It's got, you know, Captain America, Chris Evans. I just, you know, love him in terms of his portrayal as Captain America, but also, you know, just as an individual, he's got, um, he's a really you know, um, social political activists, which uh, I can hang my hat on uh, behind, so to speak. Um, so I really enjoyed it. I think Knives Out has a really great cast as well. It's got, uh, gosh, um, Jamie Lee Curtis. It's got Mr. Bond. Yeah. It's <laughs> and Daniel Craig in it, yeah. uh, who I think is so talented. Uh, you know, it's got a really great, talented cast, and there's an underpinning of um, immigration. It's a classic, you know, Agatha Christie type of mystery, but there is an underlying immigration theme, which just, you know, I was not expecting, but very cleverly done. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to Ryan Johnson, I really didn't like The Last Jedi, but, I mean, this movie just knocks it out of the park. Like, where The Last Jedi tried to subvert expectations unnecessarily, this one does it in a clever way in a genre that we are expecting. We have so many expectations. When it comes to mysteries, we we have all these expectations, but he decides to become very smart, throw social issues in there, throw red herrings, throw, you know, subversion Mm -hmm. expectations, all of it. I think Uh, Knives Out is good, and it's a very good choice because it's, it's subtle use of, of immigration and, 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 and current themes and, and politics. So yeah, Knives Out was a good one. Um, and yeah. it's mystery is, is, is really smartly written. Um, I think on the other side, I would recommend, um, what's it called? A, 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 for a TV show. We talked about this uh, previously in one of the episodes, but uh, the show, The Beforeners. Right? Yes. Yeah. And that show involves... Um, a strange form of immigration, temporal or time immigration, where individuals who are uh, ethnically from the same area, in this case being Norway, um, individuals throughout time coming to the modern day with their vastly different cultures, from Cro-Magnon individuals settling the area to Vikings to later 18th century, you know, Bohemians. Yeah, I, you know, I, I enjoy Beforeners. It was a very clever, um, you know, interpretation. It's an HBO Europe production. So um, put it out there, you know, where, 
one can watch it um, if they're able to access it. Uh, you might even be able to access it through Hulu. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. But yeah, very clever. Uh, yeah, you're dealing with discrimination biases, but it's biases which are, uh, you're absolutely right. It, the biases are based on time, not race, which is unusual, right? Yeah. You don't see that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's because biases based on race are usually biases based on culture. To be very fair, right. you know, anyone of any race can fairly easily adapt to many cultures, right? right. That's what it means right. to be human. But so in, in taking the people of the same ethnic group, but separating them by so much different culture was an interesting way, especially when you look at like how the Vikings did stuff versus like the Cro-Magnon guys versus mm-hmm. like 18, like, yeah. you know, like every single group interacting with the modern day is unique, especially yeah. uh, what can I say? That was a good, that was a good show. Um, and it, it was. was and mystery. I also want to put in there. They also dealt with opioid issues, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, the idea of, you know, like immigrant communities having what's it called issues with, you know, societal like like societal and social issues with drugs. You know? Yeah. So very, very smart. Uh, I, I really liked it. Um apart from that, um sort of the reverse was the leftovers, but uh we talked about that previously before too. Something that we haven't talked about is uh the new sh- uh the new movie that came out uh on Disney Plus Hamilton. Right, that was a that's a movie version of the stage production, right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, that was uh, released on Disney Plus. And what can I say? I, I watched it, and I really liked its how historically relevant it is even to this time, right? Because mm-hmm. it is about individuals who are immigrants, people of different races, you know, people fighting, you know, the the issue of of slavery. You, some people argue that the, the play doesn't go far enough, but I believe that focusing on a single man's life is, is it's hard to pin down all the politics of one thing. Um, right. So. Uh, well, I agree with you. I think that's a good context. Um, if one is not familiar or, you know, it's, it encourages one to do a deeper dive into the founding fathers, which I would say, Chris, uh, you know what? I, I mean, I did not realize that Hamilton had written so much of the, so many of the Federalist Papers. And I've been, you know, thinking about, you know, I should go back and start reading them again because, you know, I'm a, I would consider myself a constitutionalist, if that's a word. Sure. Um, what type of constitutionalist? An originalist? A living tree individual? Uh well, I, I'm a, I'm of the it, it the evolving. It's an evolving document. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. So I, I've always been a proponent of that, but I think in order for you have to take a look at what the foundation of it is, and I think the Federalist Papers allow you to do that. But I think we're getting a little bit too wonky. Yeah, <laughs> serious. Let's get, let's circle back to. I think it was great the way they did it. It was very enjoyable. I didn't think that there was a there was a um, quiet moment. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Is, it, was it was very well done. So I can understand why. It. I'm disappointed that I didn't see the original. Yeah, I mean, 10 years from now, if they ever say, hey, we're doing a you know revival tour or whatever, you know, just count me in. I'm, I'm in there in a minute. Yeah. Um, and I think it would do, do well as a movie, too, a live action movie. Do you know what I mean? To, to, like, right now, this is just a recording of the stage play, but, uh, you know, like, yeah. I'd like to see, like, them. And an advantage is that the set that they chose fit so many different, like, sort of scenarios. Yep. Uh, but I'd love to see it with actual, like, production quality and production value, you know, like, you yep. know, um, and, you know, beyond the one set, you know, changed with multiple things, right? Right. So, yeah, uh, I'd, I'd love to see what this, and who knows, maybe in 2026 uh, or 2025, they're like, hey, listen, you know, the Hamilton movie is going to come out, um, you know, and you'll be able to go to it in your nearest drive-in theater because we still have an open regular one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a great movie. I I, I agree with you. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks for recommending it to me when it came out. I was sort of on the, you know, sitting on the fence, but I'm glad that I watched it. Yeah, 
so yeah what can i say i thought it was i thought it was great i thought the music was great the music definitely livens it up and, and it keeps it moving at an almost breakneck pace which was great yeah um, yeah so keep that in mind uh, those are great things uh you know knives out you can find sort of uh, I think um, might be on Amazon uh, Instant Video. Uh, the Foreigners is HBO and HBO Europe, possibly on Hulu. Uh, I'm not sure about that. And then Hamilton is on Disney Plus, um, uh, all available you know right now. So, um, and all great movies. Yeah, and all of them good. So have fun and 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 watch those. Yeah. And on that note, uh, we thank you for tuning in to us. Uh, we hope you enjoyed uh, our discussion. Um, heavy though it was. And um, if you enjoyed it, please subscribe. And we do look forward to um, meeting you again yeah, next see week. You. See ya. Bye.